Hi, this is Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. We are on the borough of Staten Island. Very happy to be here at Borough Hall with Borough President James Otto. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for taking the Staten Island Ferry over. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I will say my first time on the ferry, uh, and I can't believe it took me that long. He but did it like a beautiful, pro, you a beautiful know, ride. Safe the whole time. Yeah. To... Here's a pro tip: sit on the opposite side of the, sta uh, the Statue of Liberty as you're coming from, Stat uh, from Staten Island into Manhattan. Okay. Sit on the right-hand side when you're going. Mm -hmm. Sit on the left-hand side because the tourists. I want to take pictures of the ferry, right. of, of the uh, uh, Statue right. of Liberty, yeah. and it's it's chaotic. I'll say for listeners, I've been to Staten Island a number of times, just by vehicle, uh, by, by driven vehicle, uh, but it was great to be on the ferry. So before we get into a whole bunch of meaty stuff, we want to get your take on the World Series, because you're a big baseball guy. It was nice not to have a real, well... It would, nice, it would be nice if the Mets were in, and I'd have to have a vested interest, but it was nice, it is nice to have no particular allegiance to any team and just let the games unfold. And um, I, I just love some of the folks in the media, in the sports media, who it was over after game two, mm. and now it's over after game five. So I, I would like to see Washington win game six, let it go to game seven, let every, every guy on the roster is on call, you right. see every pitcher, and... I hope I hope Scherzer gets an opportunity to throw. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the best when you just you don't have a vested interest and you get a game seven. That's, right. That's also, you can go to bed earlier if you want to, which, <laughs> yeah. is, which is important. Um, in maybe more substantive news, we're around the anniversary of Superstorm Sandy, and so we wanted to check in with you on a topic that a lot of people have been raising in recent days, which is the status of recovery. Uh, how do you characterize it generally, and, and where do you think we have made progress just in the past couple of years, and where do we need to make more still? We have on Staten Island maybe four or five families still left, so we've come a long way. Um, other boroughs probably have a, a few more than that. It has been, the recovery has been the single most infuriating, heartbreaking experience of a nearly 30-year career in public service. Um, I say often that the mistakes were made early, they were made often, they were repeated, they were compounded. Um, I put the blame at the top of the food chain. There were decisions made by the Bloomberg administration early on um, that took us down the wrong path. There were decisions made by the de Blasio administration that did not help things. Um, I think when you go drive my old council district, you see every bad thing that we were warned about when former Councilman Ignizio and I went to New Orleans and sat with the folks from the city government and state government in Louisiana, what they warned us. If you drive my old council district in Midland Beach, you will see one house raised next to a house that isn't raised, next to a house that's abandoned, next to another house that isn't raised, next to a house that's raised. And um, it looks like the lower ninth ward. And I, in prep for the seventh anniversary, I was just looking through some old stuff and I had forgotten that we actually invited Frederick Swartz, who was the legendary city planner and architect who helped rebuild part of the Lower Ninth Ward. And uh, it was a reminder about, you know, he, ha he has this fabulous quote of what he thinks recovery should be about. Um, and we violated that. It, it, we had an opportunity to take the harder path and rebuild a different way. And we didn't. And um, we did incremental instead of transformative 
we've given the people in those communities, some of the people in those communities, slightly better housing and a slightly better existence. But the harder path was acquisition for redevelopment, one of the concepts we took from New Orleans, buy them out and redevelop the community, not ad hoc. Um, so now instead we have the jack-o'-lantern, you know, it's, it's nice, it's seasonal, it's Halloween, but that's not we, the way we should live. And it's everything that they told us in February of 2013, do this, don't do that, we violated it. And uh, to me, it, it, and, and here's the kicker, we're no better prepared for a storm. The only salvation Staten Island will have is the seawall project that Congressman Rose and I um, continue to do everything we can to make sure we get right. Um, that will be the protection. But uh, it's, in terms of the city, we're no better off. Yeah, we've looked at that a bit leading up to the anniversary, and it's really startling how few resiliency projects are even in motion, much less near completion or completed seven years later. I mean, seven years is not a short time. You know, the first two, three, four years, you figure, but seven years is... Yeah, and so I had, we have something called the Sandy Task Force, and we meet, for the most part, every month we've met since we've gotten the Borough Hall. Um, and in one of the last year, I, I got into a, a little dust-up with one of the folks who's, and, I, and in the early days, it was the housing side, let's get people home, the human side versus the resiliency side. And the Bloomberg administration put a lot of stock in the resiliency side, and they put out their beautiful book, but it was all glossy and it was all pretty and it's, and had all these wonderful projects. And in the early days, it was a battle of resources. And I was clearly in the camp, at, as were the other local Staten Island electeds, as was Chuck Schumer, while respecting and understanding resiliency and let's not make and let's not repeat mistakes and let's think long-term. But first we gotta get people home and we gotta figure it out. And there was this tension of time, of energy, of, re, of money to resiliency. And so they, they put out their glossy book and they have all those projects and where are they on most of them? Um, and so, you know, we, we, we made lots of mistakes in rapid repair. And then we swore to the public we would not repeat those mistakes and build it back. We're going to have a much more of a customer-friendly, you know, constituent-based, hands-on. And, we, and we, we blew that. Um, so to me, it, it, driving through those communities today, the loss of life is, was heartbreaking. But after all of that angst, and frustration and arguing and debate and discussion, when you look at the final product, it's like it doesn't honor the people that we lost. And it really is an example of, of, of government at its worst. The only pro program that really worked well was Governor Cuomo's buyout, where we said, in Oakwood Beach, we're gonna cede this land back to Mother Nature. Human beings should not live there. And most of the community sold and it's now open space and we're going to we're going to have a we're going to re, you know return it to mother nature and some we're going to use for you know, active recreation i wanted to ask you about that if you could remake the map yourself and if you had the resources and authority to do that would there be more full buyouts full retreats like orchard beach would there be a lot of this acquisition for redevelopment and if so what kind of scale are you talking about like how much of this is we can't live there anymore versus we yeah. need to live smarter. That, that, that's a great question. So clearly Oakwood Beach, Kissam Avenue, which was the poster child, right? It looked like a tornado hit it. Clearly that was in an area where, where we should have never allowed people to build. 
but the other communities can be livable, great communities. They're, in, they're, in, they're, in, they're near the water, they're near whatever form of mass transit we have, a few bus lines, um, but they don't have infrastructure. And, and back in, I was just watching an old video, um, actually was of my announcement uh, for borough president in May of 2013, where I grabbed w w what is one of the third rail of politics on Staten Island, that's development and density. And I was saying, there's a, there's a string of bungalows on this, on this block. Let's buy them out and let's re-envision it. What works on this block may be a one-family house, a bunch of one-family houses. Maybe a two-family house with a basement that you can rent. Maybe we're going to have a three- or four-story building, which was, I mean, that was, uh, that was I, I, I mean, you're going to talk about density? I'm like, yeah, let's show Staten Islanders different housing typologies and let them tell us, Oh wow! I didn't realize I could live in that. So I was I was ready to do the hard work. And and frankly, I have to say this: if this storm happened during Bloomberg's first term, and Dan Doctoroff and I was no Dan Doctoroff sycophant, really didn't have a real relationship with him until after he left government. If Dan Doctoroff was the deputy mayor in charge, he would have made sure it was visionary, not incremental. He would have made it transformative, and there would be people in Midland Beach today living in a four or five story co-op or condo instead of uh, uh, a, a, a illegally converted bungalow and their lives would be so much better. There'd be infrastructure. It was hard. We chose to take the, uh, the, the easier path. So what needs to happen now? You, <laughs> it, what, what, are, what, are the, what are a few of the key steps that the city needs to either push fast forward on or so, re -envision. so it's it's frankly it's too late. So the the city's so the houses that are there that they're going to get wiped out at some point down the line. Well, what's going to happen is well, let, let's hope we don't have a, a, a another hurricane between now and the seawall is built. Right? Let's say that's five years, um, and then what's happening in the interim is the marketplace will come in and do one-offs, and this builder will come in and build this, and it will be ad hoc, and the city's not going to do anything. The city's not going to come in and put. Uh, Storm sewers in, that's the blue belt. The city's not going to elevate streets. The city's not, the, the marketplace will now take us in a particular direction. Um, we will not have like an RFP development where we sit down and we map it out and we do it strategically. It'll just be ad hoc. It will be blocks. If we go on the lower ninth ward and portions of it today, you will see what I described. And that's, I guess that's forever until the next storm or whatever, mm -hmm. but it's house up, house down, house abandoned. And that's what the reality will be in Midland Beach for the foreseeable future. So seawall, better sewer infrastructure would be good, but doesn't seem like it's coming. Right. Anything else you want to see in your, I mean, you've got, you've got two more years as BP on the sort of resiliency front or the prep for the next big storm? Th those are the, the, I mean, the seawall is the whole game. It's the big thing. Yeah, because the seawall cha changes everything. What about uh, flood insurance? You know, we're still waiting to find out the new rates, the new system, people embracing for that. What do you think yeah, about that potential? Yeah, yeah, I saw the headline today in the, the city, the city yeah. about 85%. And, and listen, I don't, I don't justify folks not taking it, but after the experience they had, when, when folks tell you the recovery was worse on them than the storm, they don't want to go near government, they don't trust government. Um, with, what, they, what some don't realize is that if they don't get flood insurance by a, a date certain, 
and another storm happens before the seawall, they will not be eligible for any of those federal funds. So the city right now, to their credit, is taking ads in the Staten Island Ferry, taking ads online. We try to get the message out on social media to, to let folks know. I don't pretend to be an expert on flood insurance. That was, I think that was supposed to be handled by a couple of, couple of congressmen ago. Um, uh, but I, you know, I just try to share information that the city has given me with constituents. But uh, folks have a distrust. It adds to the overall cynicism that uh, that exists that we were talking about before we went online. And that, and that ties yes. into, I think, your, your larger approach to government, that this frustration with bureaucracy and the inability of government to react. And that's been a focus of your career, is trying to improve that, especially as a borough president, six years and change in. How much progress do you think you've made at breaking down barriers and improving paths between citizens and one, one man's fight against so, the bureaucracy. So I, let me say this. I, I was always very cognizant of the fact that I'm a local elected official. I was brought up in this business by John Fusco and Todd Magnabeni, and they were about, let's fill the potholes. You can be visionary. You can have big ideas, too, but you're a local guy. So I, I never, I was, and I was in a super minority, and I got that. So I never felt compelled to swing at every pitch. How many times did my colleagues take shots at the National Republicans? What does that mean to me? My, my mission was to get Staten Island a little better. So I've never been ideological. I'm in a super minority. I see my job as establishing relationships and building up those relationships and, and getting shit done. That is my mantra. Deputy, former Deputy Mayor Alicia Glenn and I used to kid, we're in the let's get shit done club. Um, and so that, and, and that doesn't sit well necessarily with some of my constituents who are more ideological. I'm like, and in this climate today with social media, you got plenty of that. So I want, I want relationships to get stuff done. Some commissioners, some agencies respect it. They want to work with you. Some aren't led well, um, and there's bureaucracy. And so I'll exhaust every behind closed doors uh, avenue to advance the ball. When that doesn't happen, I will go public. I will, call, I will go to the mayor. Uh, some agencies, again, are really responsible. School Construction Authority, Lorraine Grillo, absolute best. City planning, absolute worst. Insular, indifferent, defiant. In fact, I want to make them an issue in the 2021 mayoral race. Because when I look at the current candidates, they get the, the need to work with agencies and have agencies work with you. And, um, how do we have um, the Bronx, like Staten Island, be against the special natural area district changes by city planning, and the borough president's against it, and the council members against it, and the community's against it, and they thumb their nose to all of it, and only because the, the, it was going down in the council did they pull it. We got it pulled earlier on Staten Island. How does it get to that? And I can give you chapter and verse. So um, to answer your question, it depends on the agency. Every day in this office, we run into that wall. And that wall is the agencies and the bureaucracy. And you get up and you run into it again. And you keep doing it until you move the wall an inch. And it shouldn't be that way. And, and ultimately, I mean, this is a criticism of my friend Bill de Blasio because you're the mayor. And I shouldn't have to pick up a phone and call him or email him and have him read the riot act. But ultimately, these, he's, he's accountable for these agencies. Um, and I think if you, you guys, I think I've talked about it or written about it, the perception, whether it's the truth or not, let's, let's put that aside. The perception of this administration from early on 
was they're not, they're not about delivering services. Well, it's the mayor's office. It's the Department of uh, City Planning. It's the Department of Transportation. That's what you have to do. That's your job. And so my job is, instead of working with my partners in government, too often it's dragging them, dragging them along. Is it cultural? Is it just cultural? Like the, the mayor has to set the tone, be so focused on delivery of services. It goes to the deputy mayors. It goes to the commissioners. And they are just maniacal about it. Or is it yeah. civil service related? I mean, what's the... I, I, I think it's the former. That, that's my approach mm -hmm. to it. You need strong mayor who uh, leads up and down the chain of command, but respects the chain of command. So deputy mayors have a, have a role and have a voice, and then the commissioners have a role and a voice, and then they push down in their agencies. It's uh, extreme ownership at the top, as Jocko Willink uh, wrote in that great book, but it's, it's respecting the chain of command. My theory on it, and I'll, so let me piss off the last two mayors and the last two administrations. My theory was, the Bloomberg administration was the golden era of being a commissioner. The mayor proudly said, I delegate. And those were fiefdoms. And then he was there for 12 years. And a lot of those people, all of those people stayed because they all thought they were going to land on the gravy train in Bloomberg LLP. So it turned into, the, it like petrified. There was agency culture and it was their way and they had their head down. And then Bill de Blasio came in. And I think the mayor cares about what the mayor cares about. Um, I, and those issues are obvious, and everything else gets put on the back burner. And when you're Staten Island, which is a little different than the rest of the city and your issues are different, you're all the way in the back. And now I'm deep in the agencies in the muck and the mire. And oh, by the way, some of the agencies, the agency heads, resent the personal relationship I have with the mayor. And you know, we go out to dinner and then there's a, a phone call or an email at 11 o'clock saying, why is Otto bitching about this, blah, blah, blah. And they, so I'm deep in those agencies and I'm in the muck. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I think it is you have to be hands on. You have to um, lead. You have to have, surround yourself with talented people who are leaders. You have to allow them to lead. But there's got to be accountability to you. And I shouldn't, again, elected officials shouldn't have to go to the mayor and say, um, you know, I have an issue right now with city planning, a big issue. Went to them in 2016, wrote an impassioned letter to the mayor in 2017. In January of 2018, when I was this close to running for surrogate and Bill de Blasio was at dinner with me saying, Jimmy Otto, don't run. Let me hear your frustrations. And I talked about irrational development, makes a commitment to me that we're going to do something, then publicly makes that commitment at city hall in your borough in July of 2018 charges city planning to address it. They create a working group that meets once and for the next year and a half doesn't do anything about it and is defiant in not doing anything about it to the point now where a new deputy mayor is coming in and try to save the day. You got to, I mean, you got to tell us what the, what this well, is. I'll <laughs> tell you what it is. It's, it's two things. It's, it's, so the best thing Mike Bloomberg did for Staten Island was we call it overdevelopment, irrational development. The value of the land exceeded the structures on top of it. So what were they doing? Everybody, not just builders, everybody was getting into the building houses game. They would knock the house down and they would put, we call them townhouses, but row houses. More traffic, more kids in, in, in school, wiping away every other green space. So we addressed that with the growth management task force that Bloomberg did, Jim Molinaro was the BP, Mike McMahon, Andy Lanza, when we were all in the council together. Then the economy tanks. So in, in national economy, 07, 08. So development was pretty much in check, Irra like irrational development. 
And then it started ticking up again, and you start seeing what we call teardowns. Again, one family home on a big lot, you can't build attached housing or row housing, but now they can build multiple units. Same problem. So I, I went with, to the mayor after being frustrated by the agencies, and he made a commitment that we will do something about it. That and private roads, uh, which is a uniquely Staten Island phenomenon. Um, and his agency hasn't done a thing. So I, uh, you know, I used to beat up uh, on DDC because they exhausted my patience. Lorraine Grillo took, took it over and it's improved. But now you see me online talking about publicly city planning because I've waited since 2016. The mayor made a commitment. The mayor talked about it publicly. And now I, I'm hearing stuff that not only are you not doing anything, but as they said in that famous NFL, uh, you're giving me the business? Mm -hmm. Okay, I may lose, but I am 794 days of lame duck, term limited, bad asseriness. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna use that because the issue is that important to Staten Island, where there was one home, and we showed Deputy Mayor Bean this in a tour a week ago, where there's one home now on a corner, there are now, and one family I should say, on a corner in one house, there are now six families where there were two cars, there are now 13 cars, where there were three kids, there are now you know, 18 kids that, that are gonna go to PS11. And that's happening all over the borough. And then Staten Islanders complain about traffic and overcrowded schools, and they look to me as if I'm doing a wink and a nod to the developers and I'm happy with it. Do you want, you know, what's, what's sort of your vision for development and housing on Staten Island? Because that's obviously comes up all the time. We should, you know, you even mentioned the word density, right? This idea, welcome more density, plan it well, but welcome it. Growing population, for many people, a great borough to live in. Why yeah. not? So for the most part, all across the borough, Staten Island is a bedroom community where you go down a street at 10 o'clock at night and we are pretty much buttoned up. Um, and that's what Staten Islanders want. That's why they move here, that's why they lived here. They want that suburban quality of life. At the same time, we can have in, in unique corridors on Staten Island, something different. On the West Shore, we can have job creation. And we're seeing that with Amazon, we're seeing that with Ikea, and there are a whole bunch of other projects in the pipeline. We call it the Jobs Coast. And on this shore, on this coast, this is the area close to the ferry where we can absorb a different housing typology, apartment buildings, and, and more density. But the biggest lesson in the history of Staten Island post the Verrazano Bridge is you have to plan because we have no infrastructure. It goes back to the Sandy issue. It's, so we, have, we already have like three and a half rush hours. You already have sewer backups in people's homes. You already have communities that don't have storm sewers. Um, so when you say you're going to add density, you have to do it smartly and you have to put the, the investment in infrastructure. And, and I won't go off on a rant on this, and that's why the Bay Street Corridor vote negotiation is really an absolute disgrace how that went down because we got nothing but uh, promises on um, you know, warmed over promises on IOUs already uh, 
already obligated to Staten Island. But so we can have, like I am open, I was open. I'm the one who pointed the administration when they said we're gonna have a five borough affordable housing. It's, affordable housing is coming to you whether you want it or not. And I said to understand, you could call it luxury housing, you could call it senior housing, you could call it any housing. Staten Islands don't want density, but if you're gonna go, let's go near the ferry and let's do it right. They did not do it right. And I would have, if I were the council uh, member, I would have voted no. And I would have kicked it back like uh, Dan Garodnik did, or the folks, uh, what was it? Uh, Flushing. Mid Midtown East. East Midtown, yeah. 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 Kick it back and come back with a better plan. Mm -hmm. So why does Debbie Rose agree to it? You're going to have to ask Debbie Rose mm -hmm. that question. Mm -hmm. We will. Uh, curious, uh, another issue that ties into quality of life is, is quality of life and policing and crime. And obviously, this is a borough where a lot of police officers live. Um, I imagine there might have been some suspicion of the direction that this mayor was going to take criminal justice policy. What's been the impact of the reduction of arrests, stop and frisks, uh, incarceration? Uh, has that had an impact that's visible here in Staten Island, and has it been good or bad? Uh, well, listen, we have had our rough moments during our tenure, the mayor's and, and mine up our hall, the Garner tragedy, the um, the shooting of the two police officers, those are some tense moments. There's a reason why we didn't have um, it play out the way we saw on our TVs. Uh, that, that's uh, a large uh, measure of the credit should go to former Borough Commander Ed De La Torre, who was doing his homework before then, to some of our clergy, um, Reverend Carolina, Bishop Brown, uh, Tony Baker, who really um, unified the community. It, um, it was bubbling still for a long time right below the surface. Um, I think we are in a much better place today than we were a few years ago in terms of overall police community relations. I think the NCOs and community policing has gone a long way. I think it's a major success on Staten Island. I think it works for different reasons in different parts of the borough, but in terms of race relations, uh, I think the community has gotten to build a relationship with these cops. I think the police officers have gotten to build relations with the community. And um, I think the tensions have uh, dissipated to a large degree, but I'm not naive. There's a lot of history here and it's, it's, it's not right at the surface, but it's not that far below the surface. So I'm, I'm cautiously happy about where we are. But you know, you're one situation from igniting things. I think on Staten Island, um, we are concerned, and I hear it in a lot of different uh, circles, we are concerned with January Brinks. We are concerned with bail reform. We are concerned with a lot of stuff that, that comes with that, and not just uh, bail and um, reform we're talking about you know uh being able to maintain complainants there's a situation an egregious attack in someone's home and now as part of the discovery you have to open up your home to the defense attorney and the accused and come into the house where whatever offense took place so there there are it's surprising how often i've heard the concern about what the criminal justice reforms will, will mean for the city and Staten Island coming in January. Not just from law enforcement folks.
one of the things you mentioned there makes me think of obviously um, what happened with the results of the of the Pantaleo matter, and one of the things that I, you know I was particularly watching for is if it didn't turn out how it did with his dismissal, that we easily could have seen a, a major sort of episode of protests and marches and such, um, and, and we didn't see that. But I'm wondering what you made of that process and that decision and how people reacted to it, given what, what did Pe take place. People had positions uh, and feelings going into the decision, and they have the same feelings coming out of the decision. Um, you know, uh, it's difficult. It's, it's really difficult. I, I, I will say this. We are really blessed to have a great borough commander in, in uh, Chief Corey, some really good precinct commanders, and the police officers, they don't like Bill de Blasio, and right now they don't like Jimmy O'Neill. I think they like and respect their local commanders, and they're doing their job. There's been no Pantaleo effect uh, that we can see. Uh, and they go, they're going out there, and they're doing a good job. And... As I said earlier, because of the NCO program, because of community policing, at the same time, they are actually continuing to work on community relations. But uh, very volatile situation, and, and this is, it's, it's not a static situation. This is a snapshot in time. Something happens tomorrow, it's a whole new ball game. So, yeah. um, but we continue to do our homework. And, um, so, so let's let's hit a, just a few other things that might be sort of top of mind priorities for you. I mean, give us a, give us a couple things. Um, we don't need to get into the weeds on all of them, but what are a couple other things? Um, transit. You got your wellness stuff that you're really focused on. You know, what are a couple other things that you're really looking at here um, as we wrap up this year and look ahead to your last two? So the uh, we just made some news over the weekend where we. We pivoted and went to the mayor and said that this notion of spending 120, 140, 170 million dollars on an indoor aquatic center. As much as I appreciate that, there's a higher purpose for that money. And I went to him with with a different idea, and uh, that is sort of taking that money and going down three different prongs. Uh, jump starting the health and wellness campus on the grounds of Seaview, specifically putting money in to create a diabetes center. Um, taking a, a fifth of that money and give it to the Children's Aid Society to enclose the existing pool so we address the pool issue, taking a small portion of money, finish off, allow Meals on Wheels to finish off their new building. I think it's a higher purpose and, and it gets out of some of the muck and the mire of, of um, where should the pool go and are we really going to spend this much money on an indoor aquatic center. So that's big. Uh, health and wellness, we do a whole bunch of things on health and wellness. I won't go too, too deeply into the uh, weeds on that, but we were the first ones to hire a physician um, it's part of my value system, and um, if you're a taxpayer, if you are in my political party and you like, what is Otto doing on health and wellness? That's not what government should do. I could sit down and have a cold beer with him and I think make the argument from a very conservative point of view about a taxpayer why I'm tired of paying for people's health care. And if you look at the city budget and you go back to my days in the council, from 2003 I started asking Mark Page, in fact I made a little movie about it called The Uncontrollables of clips of me and Mark Page talking about healthcare costs have zoomed past pension costs. It's eating up all this money and, and so I really, and I think Eric Adams is a hero on this stuff. I think personally he's a hero in that he took control of his life but he's willing to go out there and take all the slings and arrows. We're doing that to a certain degree. Um, we're excited that we're finally going to be included in the fast ferry right out here in, uh, let's call it the summer of 2020. Uh, Congressman Rose and I came up with a, a, we think, a sort of ingenious idea and that is with the seawall, they're bringing in a million 
tons of rock. We want them to move it in by barge. They're gonna have to build a facility. We're trying to convince them to build a permanent facility. The Army Corps can dredge the East Shore, which is the reason why we can't have a, a fast ferry, or one of the reasons. So to date, we have a location where we think we have space that works. So maybe we can get a second. Um, but tr right now, traffic and transportation is uh, the main, I think the main complaint on Staten Island. We, uh, some say stupidly, I say courageously, we said, all right, we're gonna be part of a redesign of um, express bus system. A lot of people are still complaining because the commute is still horrible. Um, it would be horrible under the X system, it would be worse under the X system. And I have a newfound respect. Um, I got to become friends with Andy Byford. I have a newfound respect for the people who run buses. I can't imagine what the people who run subways are under. Hmm. Um, but so, uh, you know, we're trying to address that. And everything in between, we're trying to do the meat and potato issues as well as, you know, this is the last time I'm going to be an elected official. I'm going to spend. You sure about that? The, oh, yeah. The uh, uh, elected official? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Public official, maybe not. Mm -hmm. But uh, you, won't see, uh, you, you won't see my name on a ballot in a competitive race again. And my wife is listening. <laughs> but and we're, gonna, we're okay. trying to maximize. Yeah. So I, and, and some of this stuff is, I don't want to say it's, like it's, it's, per, it's personal, it's, it's my time. But some of this is, when I look back, I want to make sure that if I, you know, I, I live true to my values. And the stuff on sleep and the stuff, I, you know, I, I do a lot of reading. It's my midlife crisis. And I, I read this stuff and I'm like, we should be talking about it because no one else is, or very few people are, and let's move the ball on it. You believe in science. You referenced 2021 earlier. We're curious, I mean, some of the things you just mentioned might be part of this, but what do you think is gonna drive the discussion in the elections on Staten Island in 2021? Particularly, where do you think there's gonna be an alignment between the issues that move stuff citywide and the stuff that has residents here? Because obviously it's different from some of the other boroughs. I, I, I don't have problem with people who are ideological warriors. If you want, it, but if you're a local elected official, including the mayor, you can be an, an ideological warrior as long as the agencies run well. I would hope that every candidate runs and delivering services is prominent. That's how you improve the lives of nine million people. Make every single one of these agencies run better, more efficiently, more timely, because that's, that's what intersects with the lives of, of New Yorkers on an everyday basis. So I'm hoping that like competence, um, re reforming agencies, the functions of city government are prominent. And within that, if you have a particular ideology that comes out and those are your values, fine. But so I'm hoping that these candidates, you know, really dive into quality of life. And that comes in lots of that's just not policing quality, just the quality of our lives. And the next mayor has the rule over all these agencies. He or she can improve people's lives every day. Can your party win a mayoral election? Do you, do you think, I mean, is that even something you think about? So I, I, I thought Joe Borelli's line in the debate where they asked Jamani uh, if he's gonna run for <laughs> right. mayor, and Joe Borelli's line is, there's a seven or eight to one, it's probably higher than that voter, voter difference. If I win this race, you're damn right, I'm gonna <laughs> right. open up. Um, I, listen, I don't wanna dissuade any Republicans. If there's a Republican out there who wants to run, God bless him and God bless her. Um, call me up, let's have a conversation. But you know the reality. Um, and 
Um, you would never do it. Uh, no, no. I, I, I don't believe I could win. You know, I, I don't believe I could win. Um, my wife uh, has endured a public life with me for a long time. And quite frankly, at this part of my, point in my life, um, just lock me in a room, pile up the work, tell me ahead of time that I don't have to go to rubber chicken dinners and any of that bullshit, and I'll be happy. Um, but I, I, listen, I, you know, I, I can't, I don't think I could win, and I don't, I don't want those parts of the job. I do, though, have aspirations and ambitions of actually being on the inside. And instead of throwing my pebbles from the outside, and I throw pebbles very effectively, uh, Tom Ogdebeni taught me well, but they're still pebbles for the most part, put me on the inside with some TNT and watch me blow up the bureaucracy. I have not forgotten, I think two or three years ago, you said something about first deputy mayor being your dream, dream well, It doesn't job. have to be first deputy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Operations is yeah. pretty cool. Uh, a couple last things, yeah, go ahead. So, as a former council member and a current president, we're curious about how you feel about two stories, public officials whose remaining in office is, uh, is a question mark. Uh, council member Andy King facing potential suspension expulsion, obviously the president and the impeachment inquiry. What do you think about those two stories? And, and as someone who sits in office yourself and has taken multiple oaths, at what point is it appropriate for other elected officials to overrule the will of voters yeah, and say, you have to leave. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and we've, I, I don't know the, obviously, I, I'm not supposed to know, and I don't know, I don't know who does know the particulars, although I read uh, part of the column in the Daily News from one of the complainants who, who wrote the op-ed. Um, about Councilmember King. About and Andy your King, successor yeah. in, the, in the council, Steve Matteo, chairs this ethics committee yeah. that's been very, very busy. Chair the ethics committee. It doesn't <laughs> mean it won't be busy. I wonder if he regrets that, mm -hmm. that decision. Um, I, I don't know the particulars. My inclination would be you have to convince me, not just with a preponderance, you have to convince me sort of beyond a reasonable doubt that this guy's got to go for the very reason that you explained, that I, don't, I didn't vote. The 160 or how many thousand people voted uh, for that elected official. I don't want to um, be cavalier in removing someone from office. Um, so while I, would, I can be convinced, if it's that egregious, the burden will be on whoever's pushing a vote for expulsion. And would your preference be that person's constituents make their, if they, if they want that person gone, they make their voices heard loud enough that they force their, elect, their yeah. representative to, to resign? Is that preferable to you than the elected colleagues taking their own action? So, so what happens if we kick him out and then there's a special election and he runs again and, and the voters vote him in? I mean, I don't know the logistics of that or the legalities of that. So yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how I, I guess ultimately, I'm the one with the vote, so I have to make a decision. But I, and I would factor lots of things in and um, and try to make it, you know, the, try to reach the right thing using some common sense. But that's a, it's a, it's a difficult one. Um, but maybe it's so maybe they're privy to it being so egregious that like this guy just cannot be here anymore. Well, they're voting on suspending him as opposed to you which know, some folks him, and so, the, and but, the complainant, the one of the first alleged so. victims or victims said, yeah, that's not good enough. Right. So. Um, that's a really tough call. In terms of the other stuff, man, I don't know. I try hard not to 
stare into the sun. And that's the, if I start talking about Washington, D.C., I will insult both parties. And so I, I, again, I'm a local guy. I try to spend all my energies and not be, I just read a book called Indistractable, Near Eyal. He was the guy who wrote Hooked. And this is sort of the antidote to Hooked. It's about distractions and technology, um, but it's really about us. We allow ourselves to be distracted. So I try real hard not to be distracted by Washington. And uh, I don't watch cable news. Um, I don't watch the WWE circus. And I focus on, um, spending all my energy getting accountability for city, from city planning. Where Washington does meet your job is the local congressional race. Are you getting involved there? Max Rose, likely versus assembly member Maliotakis. So there are, in case you didn't hear, there are 794 days left in my term. Of those days, Max Rose will be the congressman for 428. So for 428 days, I'm going to work with Max Rose in every, every way, shape, or form, because that's my job, and not give a rat's ass about politics. And by the way, and this is not a, a veiled shot or not so veiled shot at anyone, but I don't like perpetual campaigns, and I don't like two-year campaigns. And what this will be is if, Max, if, if Nicole Malliotakis beats Max Rose, Max Rose is going to run against her two years later. So this will be a perpetual campaign for four years. I don't think that's good for Staten Island. I don't think that's, that, that's good for the body politic. But until, uh, so I'm gonna work with Max and I'm not gonna shy away from him because seawall, fast ferry on the East Shore, a whole bunch of things. We're gonna do a thing on a POW chair downstairs. So sort of symbolic, uh, simple, but meaningful things all the way to serious substantive things. I'm gonna work with him. And if that angers people in my party or uh, colleagues, I don't care. Uh, in terms of the race, I haven't thought about what I would do and what I wouldn't do, but. So you might make an endorsement, you might not. I, I, yeah, I think that's fair. Really? Does that cover all the bases? I might and I might not. <laughs> well, I don't know if you're ruling out an endorsement or you're you know, indistractable. Uh, I, because I'm indistractable, <laughs> I haven't really paid a lot of yeah, attention yeah. to it. All right. Yeah. Well, I we, don't think he believed me with the oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, please. Last question. Sure. Uh, because this goes to some of the stuff you're talking about earlier. I don't know if this is substantive or not, but it's been a topic for probably our entire lives. Nine million people you mentioned. Does it make sense for Staten Island to be part? Of New York oh, good question. Uh, I would like to see uh, Joe Borelli or Diane Savino. I'd like to be, see Diane Savino be mayor of Staten Island. Listen, um, I said that Wait, in a sadistic way. No, is that no. A- <laughs> well, sadistic <laughs> for the media, maybe. Because uh-huh. I said to Diane on the phone, um, I mentioned to someone that Diane should run for mayor of the city of New York. And then I said, I'd be the first deputy mayor and it would be the closest we get to the show Veep because she'd be walking <laughs> from the press conference and say, did you see how, did you hear how fucking stupid that question was? That was a stupid fucking question, Jimmiano. And I'd be like, uh, yes, yes, mayor, it was a stupid <laughs> question. Um, no, listen, it's too big. Yeah, I would want us to, to have sovereignty and, and um, the problem is every time we talk about, every time we've talked about s- secession subsequent to the initial time with Markey, it's taken less and less and less seriously. But yeah, I would want it. I, the bureaucracy is too big. And, and the reality is, but for one time during Rudy Giuliani, that's when we were treated really well. We were treated as one of five under Mike Bloomberg. And because we've been so mistreated for so often, that was seen as being treated well. He treated us as we were one of five, no better. Um, so yeah, I would want to see uh, 
us be our own city. Can we do it I, you know, financially? I have no idea. Would I love to see a genuine study? Um, and if Isn't, this- Yeah, no, go ahead. I thought there was something happening stat, college of Staten Island, but maybe that's not it. I know Joe, Joe uh, yeah. Councilman Borelli has talked about it. Oh yeah, he wants to do yeah. it. Yeah, um, but it's, it's interesting because in this, by the way, Shelly Silver gets, is like wears the, the black hat according to some folks, but it really was Peter Vallone. Peter Vallone, Shelley Silver said we want a, a home rule message. Peter Vallone could have given it to him, and I love Peter Senior, but the, the history like paints Shelley Silver as the bad guy, and maybe he, he, well he was for a few other reasons, but in this one particularly, the city council could have given a home rule. I think in the era of AOC and, and where the Democratic Party is, I think they, would, might, they might enjoy getting rid of us. I think you can get a home rule message through the city council today. And I don't know, and I think maybe with the state senate run by the Democrats, they may, you know, they say, yeah, get rid of them out of New York City. So Interesting. who knows? All right, maybe you'll lead that campaign when you're, uh, when you're at it. <laughs> thank you very much for the time. Yeah, I appreciate thank it. You. All right, thank, thank you. you.